This dynamic Bible-based message was recorded at Good Hope Christian Center. Now, let's listen to this exciting, Holy Spirit-inspired message. I'm going to talk to you this morning about double for your shame. Isaiah 61 verse 7 says, Instead of shame, you will have double. I want to read a few scriptures. Let's go back to John chapter 8, verse 3 to 7. And I'm going to read a few scriptures this morning and deal with some of what we struggle with as individuals and show you there's a difference between guilt and shame and show you how to walk away from shame and walk in a victory. So you will see in the book of John, chapter 8, verse 3 to 7, Jesus encounters a woman. It says, then the scribes and Pharisees brought to a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in their midst, they said to him, teacher, this woman is caught in the act of adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? They said, they said, testing him, that he might, you see, what do you say? They said, testing him. That's what happens when we come up with a verse one at a time. They said, testing him, that you might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they had continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, he who is without sin amongst you, let him throw the first stone. Verse 8 says, and again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And when Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst, Jesus raised himself up and saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, where are your accusers or the accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and sin no more. Then in Genesis 3 verse 10, and I'm not putting these, I'll put it all together for you. Genesis 3 verse 10, it's the woman in the garden, and obviously Adam is with you, her. And she said, speaking to God, and remember this lady is speaking to Jesus that we read in John, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So we notice, firstly, in the book of John, that Jesus is standing and confronted by the scribes and the Pharisees. And the scribes and the Pharisees were looking back at the Old Testament law and said this woman was caught And their motivation is the law says she needs to be stoned. She needs to to die. Now, the interesting question that you would need to ask is the scribes and the Pharisees are the pastors and the preachers and the elders of the church. They are the religious leaders. So the first question you'd have to ask yourself is what were they doing there? The second question you'd have to ask yourself is why did they want to stone her? Because did they want to keep her quiet because she might have been talking about all of their affairs? We don't know. The third thing we notice is Jesus writes in the ground. And when he writes in the ground, it's a significant thing because whenever God writes, it is historical in its making. Genesis, God speaks. But in the book of Daniel, God writes on the wall. 
But had God written before then? Yes, he'd written before when he meets Moses and gives him the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments today still defies all civil law, including the New Testament. All of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Testament and are repeated numerous times. And so, thou shalt not kill. In the New Testament, it just simply says, do not be angry with a, co- with a person without a cause because you're already harboring murder in your heart. In the Old Testament, it says, thou shalt not commit adultery. But in the New Testament, it says, don't look at a woman to lust after her. In other words, don't undress a woman with your eyes. And so all of those laws are repeated in the New Testament. And then they repeat it again in the book of Ephesians and multiple books in, in the epistles. And so when people say, I'm free from the law, we're talking about the law of the scribes and the Pharisees, where they had 613 other laws, cleansing laws, all kinds of other laws. But the basic moral law and fabric of society today remains the same. We know murder is thou shalt not kill or do no murder, which means it is premeditated. And so murder is something that is a premeditated thing. And when we go to war and we read somebody says thou shalt not kill, well, war is not premeditated murder. Premeditated murder is you have a plan in your head to destroy an individual. Now, this woman is brought to Jesus, and when she's brought to Jesus, the whole purpose of the scribes and Pharisees bringing her is to shame her. Now, we don't know if this woman was a prostitute. The Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. It just says that the religious leaders caught her. Was she married? Was she widowed? Was uh, what had happened? Because under the old covenant, these same individuals said, Moses' law said you can just put your wife away. You You don't need to divorce her. You can just put her away. And so these same individuals are now making a judgment call. And their judgment call is about a woman. And when they throw her at Jesus' feet, he begins to write. Now, the significance of writing, as I said, in Genesis, he talks, but in the book, he writes the Ten Commandments. Then in Daniel, he writes on the wall to a heathen king and says to the heathen king, you are weighed in the balances, found wanting, tonight you will lose your kingdom. And that night, an enemy army comes in, the king loses his position, and he's stripped of his authority. Then we find Jesus writing in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. Did he write, Joe the Pharisee beat his wife? Did he write, Peter the scribe, you know, the guy who writes, he did something? We don't know what he wrote. But whatever he wrote, it says, they began to leave from the oldest to the youngest. Why? Because the younger are more stubborn and always believe they write. The oldest know I've messed up so much, but for the grace of God. So the youngest always, man, I know everything. I'm a walking encyclopedia Britannica. Until they go through some suffering and struggles in their life, and as they get a little bit older, they figure out, it doesn't, life doesn't quite work the way I think it works. The younger normally say it was my mother's fault. It was my father's fault. It was my teacher's fault. They play the blame game. 
the victim game. When you're a bit older, there's no one to blame except yourself. You can't blame anyone but yourself. And you own your mistakes. And so what transpires at this place is the enemy is trying to shame the woman. I want to deal with two things. Shame and guilt are two separate things. Firstly, guilt is something you did. Did the woman sleep with this guy? Yes, she's guilty. Were they trying to shame her and stigmatize her? Yes. In fact, they were trying to kill her. So remember, there is a difference. Guilt, you made a mistake. But shame, you are a mistake. Guilt, you committed the offense. But then you are the offense. Shame is two critics. You're never good enough or, and you don't think Or who do you think you are? Let me say that again. You're never good enough. You never sang well enough. You never danced well enough. You never ran your business well enough. You never played well enough. Oh my, that's shame. That's shame. It says you're never good enough. Now many people say to me, well, Pastor Nev, do you deal with that? Yeah, many times I'll, I'll walk off of the platform after ministering on Sunday and say, not enough people got born again. I didn't preach well enough. And I go home and that's why they talk about Blue Mondays. And I go home and think I could have done better. I could have spoken better. I, I, I could have ministered to the people better. And what the enemy does is he tries to shame you. But I have to recognize that the Bible says, there's enough trouble for each day. Let it go and move on to the next day. I can't live bringing my yesterday into my tomorrow. I've got to look and say my destiny. That's why we sang that song. My destiny. God has a destiny beyond the shame of my past. Guilt is forgiven at Calvary. Shame is the stigmatization that the enemy wants to constantly put on you and keep on you. For shame... Woman comes home and says, I did it all. I wash the house, I make the food, I clean the dishes. Too tall, too short, too fat, too thin. Come on now, enemy shaming you. And you get up in the morning and you go, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too this, I'm too that. For a man, he loses his job and he comes home, he says, I lost my job, my wife divorced me, everything's going wrong. I never finished my degree. It could be the same for a wife. My dad never loved me. And there were a lot of men who say, my dad didn't love me. A lot of women who say, my dad didn't love me. I had to get over that. My dad was a war veteran. He wasn't somebody who was a lovey person. He, he never ever said, I went as your pastor. I went to my own father and said, dad, I love you. And when I said it, he began to cry. Because there was a generation who didn't go around saying, I love you. And so get over it. Get over yourself. Get over that shame. Don't let the enemy put you on that trip that goes on and on and on and on and on and it never ends. I'll give you the symptoms of shame. Regret, remorse, and reproach. Regret, remorse, and reproach. Regret, remorse, and reproach. I regret I did it. Remorse, reproach. I'll give you an example. I was traveling from Dallas International to Denver International. They're about a two-hour flight between. Dallas is hot and dry. Denver has snow. um, Extremely beautiful. Much like uh, the Cape, mountains, rivers. Very beautiful place. Dallas can be quite bleak and sort of ugly, almost like the middle of the free state. So I'm going to fly from 
Amen. Everybody say amen. Don't, don't get offended if you're from the Free State. I love you, but, you know, it's just two different places. Now, Dallas International Airport, uh, this, these are, just this auditorium would be a few shops. And so the whole of Cape Town International would be one terminal. It has, I think, it's about 168 aeroplanes can fly and land, and you can walk off through a tunnel to go wherever you're going. So I take a friend's car to get to the airport. Firstly, I park in the wrong parking lot. Then I realize I need to be somewhere else, so I drive over the pavement, fortu as a truck, over the pavement because the boom's down, and now I'm, oh, I'm in the wrong parking lot, so I can see the other parking lot, so I drive over the pavement. Now, forgive me, I, you know, don't say it's this crazy pastor. I'm technically lost. The flight's going to leave, and I'm just looking at time, time, time. I get into, I think, okay, this is the right parking lot. Now I get out of the parking lot, and I walk to trains. They have these little shuttles. They're tiny, uh, I suppose I'm going to use the sanitizer. They're tiny little things that look like these little bullet trains, this end and that end, and they run on two electric rails. And so there's nobody driving the train. It's all computerized. So you walk, the door will go open, you can get on the train, it'll zoom you off to wherever you need to go. But now I stop and I look and the train's on the other side and I think, oh, I've got a problem now. The time's clicking, I've got my suit bag. So I throw my suit bag over the fence. I'm an African, forgive me. Walk over the electric rails. You see, that thing doesn't have an overhead electricity. It has electricity on the rails. I step over the rails. Then I throw it over the fence. Now, I'm proudly thinking I'm on the right side and the train goes on the other side. So I throw the bag over. I repeat the motion. But now, as I repeat the motion, I tear my trousers. From the bottom all the way up, the whole back stitch is gone. Now, uh, uh, you know, my underwear sticking out. I'm like, am I guilty? Yes. Now, shame coming in? Absolutely. Because now I'm going to have to walk through the airport, carrying my suit bag, sit on a plane for two hours with torn trousers, get straight off the plane and go and preach. I'm not going to the hotel. I'm going straight to the meeting and I know that. Needless to say, all night I was walking around like this, kind of preaching. But finally, somebody says to me, you can actually get to the other side. There are proper walkways to do this. Well, you can imagine by that time I'm experiencing everything that shame brings. Regret, remorse, remorse and reproach. Uh, I'm feeling a regret. I jumped the fence. I'm feeling remorse. My trousers are torn. And now I'm feeling highly embarrassed. This woman who's taken an adultery is in a place not, and where the scribes and the Pharisees come and say, we caught her in the very act. Oh, man. The preachers must have been looking through the window going, eh, Don't be so holy in you. Some of you act like the stork brought you. <laughs> what were they doing there? Why were they there? What was going on? We don't know. But what Jesus says to the woman, where are your condemners? And she says, none. And he says, neither do I condemn you. In other words, he says, forget what you did where you are guilty, but now I want you to move past it and forget the shame that the enemy is trying to place on you. 
So you'll find in Isaiah 67 verse 1, instead of shame, you will have double. Isaiah 67, 61 verse 7, Isaiah 61 verse 7, instead of shame, you will have double. Instead of confusion, when people live with shame, you live with confusion. You can imagine, torn trousers, I'm ashamed, you're confused. You just hope you get on the right plane. You're sitting all the time on the plane. You don't want to get up and go to the bathroom because your trousers are torn. Come on. Shame puts you in a state of confusion. And then it says you will rejoice. Instead of shame, you will rejoice in the portion and the land that God gives you. And you will possess double. Everlasting joy will be theirs. So, Finally, at the end of the service, I get home. The pastor who was my host, we laughing, I'm laughing. I'm telling him what he does. I tell the church because it's just hilarious. And I said, excuse me if all night I stand with my back to the podium and hold my jacket down. Or otherwise, one of you can give me a raincoat so that I can actually preach and minister to you so that I can get on with doing what the Lord's called me to do. So let's look at how we overcome shame, the guilt, the remorse, the regret. Number one, Romans 1 verse 16. Paul writes, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Shame hooks us to our past. It hooks us to our past. You say, what do you mean? Well, if I was to meet some of my old friends, they would tell me, you know what? You were brewing beer in your father's house. And I was. And they were Christians. My father found out. And he corrected it very quickly. He applied the rod of correction to the seat of understanding. And it was over. (laughs) Did it stop me wanting to run my own brew? No. He just corrected the behavior. I actually needed to say, I need to, to get delivered, otherwise I'm going to be turning my father's house into a slill. So you could live back there with, was I guilty? Yes. Can I live back today being ashamed? No, I'm not ashamed of it. I can laugh about it because you forget it. You begin to rejoice in it. You say, did I do it? Did I give my dad a tough time? Yes. Maybe there was a good reason he didn't originally say, I love you. He was more than likely, I'm not too sure about you today. But of course, before he went to be with the Lord, I told him I loved him. His eyes were full of tears. He told me he loved me and had always loved me. Amen. You forget that. So number one, I'm not ashamed. Notice of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation. When you come to Jesus, your sins are washed away and you are cleansed. Whatever the enemy tries to bring back in the mess of the past, don't let him bring back. Were you guilty? Yes. Do you carry the shame? I refuse to carry the shame of what happened. Just like this woman, why was she to carry the shame or live her whole life thinking someone's going to come out of the woodwork and throw rocks at me and kill me. Forget it. It's over. Don't carry it. Walk away from it. Leave it behind. The gospel is a power to everyone who believes. So the power of the gospel or the word of God is the first thing that deals with our shame and moves us to what is a double portion. So you need to forget it. Forgive and forget it. Isaiah 54 verse 4. 
Isaiah 54, verse 4. Forget. People say, forget. Do not fear, for you will not be ashamed, neither be disgraced, for you will not be to, uh, put to shame, for you will forget the shame of your youth. Forget the shame of your youth. Forget it. You were five, six, ten, thirteen. Now, please don't look at me and say, Pastor, any bad things happened. Yes, they did. They did. But if somebody did something bad and they didn't repent, I can't hold them hostage. Why should they destroy my future because I'm holding on to my past? I need to let it go, let them go, let God deal with them because the Bible says, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God can sort people out a a lot better than you and I can, a lot better. You put people in the hands of God and see how he deals with it. See how he deals with it. Had a situation. I'm not going to go there. Amen. True story anyway. Forget it. Then follow. Forgive. Forget. Then follow. John chapter 8, verse 12. This is what Jesus says to the woman. John chapter 8, verse 11 and 12. John chapter 8. Then Jesus spoke again, saying, I am. He's just forgiven the woman. He said to the woman, I'm not accusing you. It's over. Your accusers have left. Then Jesus said, I do not condemn you. Go, sin no more. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me, shall not walk in darkness, but in the light of life. See, even the garden recognized she was naked, but she never knew when God created her because he covered her with his light and his presence. God's word brings light, brings his presence. His anointing brings his presence. Wherever there's light, darkness cannot exist. But as soon as she says, I'm ashamed, she hides herself. God never intended for us to hide ourselves. And the first thing we do is hide from God, hide from others, become recluses, feel, what if someone finds out? But when I bring it to the light of the world, he forgives, he forgets, and he says, follow me. It's over. It's over. It's over. Quit dragging the weights of yesterday around. Quit dragging the past around. Your destiny in Christ is a far greater value than those who want to put you to shame. Would you stand with me this morning? Hallelujah. Oh, my. I highlighted just a few things. And as we stand in the presence of the Lord this morning, there are many who say, you know what, Pastor Nev? There are things in my past that the enemy wants to keep dragging around. I've told you some funny stories that have transpired in my life. But there are things that 
transpired where people will say, your father, your mother, your grandparents, your uncle, your aunt, you. But you come to a place where you say, Heavenly Father, I'm forgiven, I forget, and I'm following you. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, say, Pastor Nev, pray for me. I want to pray with you and pray for you. Forgiving is one of the most difficult things. That's why Jesus said you have to give 490 times a day. Jesus said that. 490 times a day. Someone said, how often do you forgive? That means every time that thing comes back, you go, I forgive, forgiven. It takes time for your mind to be renewed where you can release what's happened. Because forgetting it, the enemy wants your mind to reprocess it. You have to say, I'm not reprocessing that garbage and I'm not repeating that. It doesn't need to be talked about. I love what Catherine Kuhlman said. Catherine Kuhlman, in her 60s, she'd run a very successful church. A man divorced his wife to marry her. And then the Lord talked to her and said, what you did is not right. And she said to the gentleman, she always called him Mr. She said, Mr., we can't keep living like this. And he went back. And now in her 60s, she left her church, went into the ministry, and a great healing ministry transpired that touched the world, touched Pastor Benny, touched so many people, influenced people's lives, influences us to this day. And she would say this, it never happened. When people try to bring up her past relationship, her past church, she would just say, it never happened. Someone would say, well, you're lying. She said, no, it never happened. I've forgiven. I've forgotten. I'm not going back there, and I'm not letting you drag me back there. I'm following Jesus. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. Sometimes you're able just to say, we're not talking about that. That's done. Isn't it amazing in arguments and things that happen? The devil always wants to dredge up your past to destroy your destiny. Don't let him do it. Your head's bowed and your eyes closed. Let's pray together. Just pray with me, Heavenly Father. You said, I shall forget the shame of the past. And you shall restore to me double. Today, I receive double. I receive double. Wherever the enemies endeavor to embarrass me, destroy me, steal my future, I rebuke every work of Satan and demonic powers. I thank you. I'm cleansed by your blood. Forgiven by your blood. I forget those things that are behind. I press forward. I follow you. I follow you. My path grows brighter and brighter each day. 
In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My path grows brighter, brighter, and brighter, and brighter. I love you. God bless you. I know I've told you some stories about myself because I didn't want to talk about you. You're blessed. Have a wonderful day. I love you. And I'll see you next week.